0: Welcome to the Living the Word Bible podcast, where I talk with other women about the Bible, what we love about it, how we read and understand it, and the difference that it makes in our lives. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, general editor of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible and also author of the book, Becoming Women of the Word. Today, I am talking with Meg Hunter Kilmer, Catholic author, speaker, and as she describes herself on her website, Hobo for Christ. Meg, I am so glad to have you here. Welcome. I am always so pleased to be able to spend time with you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Oh, very glad, especially to have you here on this very first episode of Living the Word. Um, Hobo for Christ. Tell us about that.
1: So I am a missionary. I live out of my car. I've been living out of my car for 10 and a half years. <sighs> 50 states, 25 countries, driven about 340,000 miles, I think, at this point. So keeps me busy. And where are you now? Right now, I am in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with the illustrator of my first book and a goddaughter and a couple of kids I've sponsored for confirmation. So we have a good time when I'm here. Oh, nice. So what book? It's called Saints Around the World. It is 100 stories of saints from 70 different countries showing all different kinds of personalities, all different kinds of lifestyles and gifts and joys and struggles, and just really trying to show kids that every one of us is wildly loved by God. Every one of us is called to deep holiness exactly as we are. So it's been a really fun book to write and to research, but also to travel around and read to kids and just see the looks on their faces when they see themselves in this book and they suddenly realize the incredible adventure of holiness. And that they can be a saint. I
0: mean, what an awesome thing to put in front of them. And you have a book like that for adults too, don't you?
1: I do. Yes. Pray for us. 75 saints who sinned, suffered and struggled on their way to holiness. So there's a little bit of overlap. There are a couple of saints who I wrote for saints around the world. And I was like, I cannot fit everything I need into 350 words. I have to give you the full story. But a lot of it is brand new saints, saints that really nobody's ever heard of. Saints who were addicts, saints who dealt with mental illness, saints who lived with infertility, all kinds of different struggles, all kinds of different joys. So again, a really fun book to research and a real gift to be able just to encounter people and to to name the brokenness or the struggle or the suffering mm-hmm. or even the the joy or passion in their lives that makes them feel separated from the Lord. Because that's, that's a, a lie the devil can tell us too, right? That you're a brilliant artist and God can't work in that. Um, And to be able to say, no, here's what that looks like with a halo on it. Here's what your chronic illness looks like with a halo on it. Here's what divorce looks like with a halo on it. And to be able to just speak hope to people in that way and to show them that they're not alone in their struggle, whatever it is, that there are saints who are walking alongside them and who are calling them deeper into the heart of Jesus.
0: I love your emphasis on the brokenness and the ordinariness of saints instead of just on the holy specialness of them. And that's kind of something I really like about the people in the Bible as well. The Bible doesn't whitewash them. You know, it gives them warts and all. And we can read about these people and think, wow, that's like me. Maybe I could be a saint too. So And it's a particularly
1: astonishing thing in scripture. You know, if you haven't read other ancient mythical literature, you don't realize the fact that Mm -hmm. David isn't portrayed as this absolutely idealistic king. That's remarkable. The fact that we see Abraham's brokenness, the fact that, you know, I was just reading the story of Hagar yesterday when God says, or when she names God as the God who sees me. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, I spent my entire holy hour praying with that, that name, the God who sees me. But God says to her, go back to the abusive treatment of Sarah. There's no like, well, Sarah's a matriarch, so we have to pretend what she did was okay. No, it was not okay, right? Sarah did some really garbage things to Hagar. And it's so unusual in that era of literature and that genre of literature that we would look at the heroes of the past and say, but they were flawed and broken. And there's something really tremendous for us as Christians to be able to look back at that and say, wow, even, even the great ones, you know, other than Jesus and Mary, even the great ones were broken and flawed and sinners. And God was able to work in that. God was able not just to work despite that, but to work in and through that and to use that brokenness to transform the world and bring glory to his name. What hope that offers us.
0: I love your passion for that. And I love the way you just draw on scripture and you are clearly so incredibly steeped in it. And there is something that I have been wanting to ask you for a long time. (laughs) I understand that you have read the entire Bible cover to cover, what,
1: 15 times? I just finished my 21st time through. Are you kidding me? 21 times? That's amazing. So I'm on my 22nd now. I'm back in Genesis again. And so this is
0: a goal of yours. You read through the Bible every year.
1: Yeah. The first time I read the Bible, you know, I had my conversion when I was 13 and I was raised Catholic, but, you know, in the way that a lot of people are, I didn't know Jesus. I considered myself an atheist by the time I was 11. And I had this massive conversion at 13. And I was like, well, God wrote one book. So I should read that book. So I started at Genesis and I read through to Revelation and it took me like five years, six years. I mean, it was just, it was a slog and I didn't know anything, which also made it difficult, right? Because everything I was reading, I was like, these words don't mean anything. And I, I couldn't put anything in context and even like having having read the Bible three times, I still didn't realize that Israel and Judah were two separate kingdoms. I mean, I was just like (laughs) totally lost, but I finished and I was like, well, I mean, I don't feel like I should be done with this. And so I found a schedule to read through the Bible in a year. And I started that when I was probably 19 and I've just read it every year since then. And I, I rewrote the schedule and it's in the Living the Word women's devotional Bible Mm -hmm. so that you can do the same thing. I've got a whole bunch of people, a couple hundred people probably reading through it with me right now, according to the schedule, just to try and keep myself soaking in scripture, especially in the parts that I don't like, you know, because it would be very easy for me to be like, I'm just going to read the gospel of John again and again and again. And I'm going to read Isaiah and I'm going to read the song of songs. I'm going to read Philippians and all of these things that make me feel good feelings. But All of scripture is the word of God, even the parts that I struggle with, right? Even the parts that are hard for me. And it's really important for me to be continually returning to the parts of scripture that don't make me feel lovely feelings because the word of God is living and effective, right? And he keeps speaking to me, even in the passages that I've read two dozen times and never gotten anything out of. I always still read with a pencil in my hand because the Lord is always He's always telling me new things, right? He's always convicting me. He's always consoling me. He's always drawing connections for me. so i I am really grateful for the way that the Holy Spirit worked in my life at the at the very beginning at my conversion that that this has become such a pillar in my life because I think it's just been incredibly transformative over the years for me to be in the word in that intentional way.
0: Well, I'm so impressed that you that you do that. I mean, I'm one of the people who reads the books that I want to read. I mean, not necessarily the ones that make me feel good, but I have read through the Bible the entire thing a a few times, but definitely not 20 times. And I'm just, I'm intrigued by the fact that you just keep reading it and you keep reading it and you keep reading it. And for a 15 year old to do that, For a 20 year old to do that, there had to be some way that God was actually speaking to you and touching you that made you do it. Or I can't even imagine why you would do it because a lot of it is, you know, it can be boring, it can be difficult.
1: It's amazing to me the way that God, again, as I was saying, doesn't just work despite our brokenness, but works in and through our brokenness, right? Like I am an incredibly stubborn person and God was like, great. I can work with that. Right. Huh. Like I made Let's you stubborn it. and I'm going to use your stubbornness. Right. And so, uh, I mean, at, at first I was kind of like, well, I'm going to be better than all of the other Christians who haven't read the Bible. right?" <laughs> I'm sure it was just pride. And then, you know, there was probably a season where I was just like, well, this is a thing I do so that I can impress people. Right. Like I can say I've read the Bible five times. I've read the Bible six times. And there have been moments where I'm like, OK, well, you know, I'm, I'm just plowing through. Maybe I need to take a different approach. But I just feel like there's so much fruit that comes out of this annual reading. Um, so it's the, it's the whole Bible every year and the gospels twice. Mm. Again, like I, I have to have a pencil with me when I read my Bible because the Lord's always showing me something new. And I'm really excited this year because I realized I've been doing the same schedule that I set up for the last eight years. And I realized that I can switch when I do the gospels. So I, I always go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, yeah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you draw connections between the readings that aren't Intentional in the schedule. And so this year I'm doing Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, right? Dangerous. (laughs) I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'm so (laughs) excited. But yesterday, Sarah, I read the story of Hagar where she says, You are the God who sees me, alongside the calming of the storm in Mark's gospel where they say, Lord, do you not care? Oh, beautiful. And and it was mind blowing to read those two texts together and to see Hagar, who has had absolutely no reason to believe that God is on her side. Say to him, you are the God who sees me. Mm. And to see these apostles who have watched Jesus heal the sick and I mean, they have he hasn't raised the dead yet. Right. But he's like clearly moving that direction. And they say, Lord, do you not care? Right. He's walking with them. He's eating with them. He's listening to their brokenness. And they say, Lord, do you not care? And just like to hold these two texts together. So I am really excited for, I don't know, the next several years of doing different gospels at different times and seeing the connections that the Holy Spirit draws through that. You might be a Bible nerd if. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So then do you have an example of like sometime, I'm sure when you're that steeped in scripture, you're going along in life and there's some issue that you hit and it speaks to you. So do you have an example that you could share? I mean, you talk about the Bible transforming you. What?
1: Yeah. When? How? Honestly, all the time. Um, And I think that for me, it comes in a number of different ways. So my life is very steeped in scripture because I'm reading through the Bible every year, because I'm praying the liturgy of the hours, because I'm going to daily mass, because I'm praying the rosary with the mysteries of the rosary, right? Like so much of Catholic spirituality is deeply biblical, even if we don't necessarily realize it. And so there's a lot of things where, you know, you'll just be at mass and the reading is something that speaks directly to your heart. But one thing that I've been intentional about in different seasons of my life. And it, it sort of comes and goes how deliberate I am about it. But I I really do try to memorize scripture. Mm-hmm. And when I memorize scripture, I put it to music because when I've put it to music, it just sticks in my head in a different way. And there have been just any number of times where the Lord speaks to my heart through the scripture that I've already memorized. And I think one that's really particularly Striking. And I may have written about it in my section on memorizing scripture mm-hmm. in the Bible that you edited was I had gone through a lot of a lot of grief, a lot of loss in a very short period of time, and was really just overwhelmed by all of it. My godson had been stillborn, and my best friend had almost died in childbirth two different families. Mm-hmm. And then my car broke down, and I like had to get to my godson's funeral, but I didn't have a car. And I was praying in my holy hour. And the passage that came to mind was Matthew ten twenty nine to 31, which is are not two sparrows sold for a small coin. Mm. Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's knowledge. Even all the hairs on your head are counted. Mm. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And I always picture myself being this like dirty little street urchin with like filth all over my face and tear tracks through the dirt. And Jesus kneeling down in front of me and wiping the tears away and saying, Oh, honey, girl, Oh, honey, girl, (laughs) (laughs) you are worth more than many sparrows. And that, that moment where it wasn't God saying like, I'm going to step in and fix this. Mm -hmm. Right. It was just God saying like,
0: look, I, I see you. you. And
1: this, and this is the thing with Hagar too. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I was so struck by this yesterday. I like really was deeply in Hagar's story in my <laughs> only hour yesterday. So she's going to come up a lot of times today. I can tell is that God says to her, like, I'm going to bring something good about this in decades. And right now I need you to go back to the awful situation that you're in. I need you to go and I need you to endure the misery of the way that Sarah's treating you and of the the loneliness of being a stranger in a strange land and of the isolation from the other people enslaved in this household who now see you as untouchable because you are the mother of the son of our master. You know, just like all of the, the complexity and the misery of all of that. And God's like, I just need you to deal with that for decades. <laughs> And eventually Which it's going to be okay. He say that, right? <laughs> but it's, no, but, but he, like the only promise that he gives her is eventually your son is going to be the father of many nations. Yeah. This is not like, give it a week and then you'll be okay, right? This isn't Good Friday where Sunday is coming in a day and a half. This is, you're going to have to endure for a long time. And Hagar says, you are the God who sees me. And the fact that he sees her is enough. Right? Like he doesn't have to step in and fix everything. The fact that she is seen and she is known and she is loved. And that's that same thing when Jesus speaks that word in Matthew 10, where he's like, Look, I'm not saying I'm going to come in and fix everything. Like I'm not, I don't always raise the dead. Right? And I don't always fix your car that's broken down. And I, like there isn't, you don't get the answer that you want to every prayer, but you are always seen and you are always known and you are always loved. Um, And for me, that's so much the message of scripture that you see again and again and again is God saying, look, I am with you. I am yours, right? I mean, like we just ended the the Christmas season yesterday as we're recording that truth of Emmanuel, God with us, right? It's that I think is what makes life bearable. It's not the idea that God's going to come in like a superhero and fix everything. It's that he comes as bridegroom to walk alongside us, to be with us, to delight in us, and being loved in that way makes the pain of life so much more bearable. And that's,
0: I mean, a beautiful testimony to the way God is with us, but also to the value of memorizing scripture. And I don't think everybody has time in their life the way you do to be able to How many hours a day do you spend in scripture? But you can spend a lot of time there and you can spend intentional time and you can go back and read things again and again and again. And that's what plants it in our hearts and puts it there to stay in a way that then the Holy Spirit can come and remind us of that and bring it to our minds. We hear it as his voice speaking to us, as you so beautifully said a few minutes ago, you know, hearing God say how precious you are to him in the words of scripture. So he can't do that unless we're already there and reading it. So thank you for that, that very good reason to be in the word often and in the same word often.
1: I mean, even finding music that is scripture put to music, I think it's, Mm -hmm. I think the one that I encountered was Seeds Family Worship. Oh, the for kids? It is, but it's just kind of like scripture put to music, right? So there are a couple of verses that I have memorized because I just listened to this song. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't have to be, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to drill myself in it. It can just be, I'm going to buy the CD and I'm going to play it in the background for a while. And then I'm going to pick up some of these passages and I'm going to know them. I think it it can feel very daunting. It it really does. And Catholics Mm -hmm. aren't great at memorizing things. Like that's not a thing that we that in 21st century American Catholicism is a thing that's really valued, right? Like we don't send mm-hmm. our kids to awanus. This is not this is not a thing that we're like trained to do. But we all memorize the lyrics to songs, right? So mm-hmm. to find some scripture based songs so that you can have some of these some of these scriptures in your head, and it doesn't have to be an arduous task. I used to play CDs
0: for my kids when they would be going to sleep, but we'd also play them in the car on long trips, and I think I ended up learning a lot of them you know, that way it's not just the wheels on the bus go round and round, but (laughs) exactly scripture that put little seeds of hope in your head, which is nice. Yeah. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who's beginning, who's never read before, who really sees it as this big daunting task? You know, how would you advise that they start out?
1: You know, I think that there are going to be different things that work for different people. I uh, talk to a lot of people, who will say, well, I just can't read the entire Bible in a year. I say, great, then don't. There's there's (laughs) absolutely no merit in that. I think the schedule that I've put together, that again is in the Living the Word Women's Devotional Bible, I think that's a really helpful schedule because it does take you through chronologically, but it also puts in a lot of breaks. Mm -hmm. So halfway through Leviticus, you get to read Philippians, right? And after you've read First Chronicles, you get to read Galatians. And so there's just a lot of carrots dangling in front of you, but you don't have to do all three of the readings every day. You know, I talked to somebody who's doing the first reading on day one and then half a chapter of a gospel, a chapter of like poetry and two to four chapters of the story. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to someone who's taking two days for every day. So she'll do the whole thing in two years. And I was like, great, that's fine. I mean, it also in the schedule, it doesn't list the calendar day. It just has a numbered day. Okay. So you can do 45 days and then get distracted for six weeks. You can come back and do day 46, right? There's there's just no reason to be overwhelmed by that. But even then, like you don't have to read the whole Bible, right? That's yeah. okay. I think as Catholics, we do need to be deliberate about reading scripture and not just encountering it when it happens to us mm-hmm. at Mass and in the Rose Room, whatever, but actually sitting down with our actual Bible that has the footnotes, that has the space for us to take notes where we can highlight and we can underline. I think marking up a text is really important in helping us not only to understand it in the moment, but then to see going back the things that the Spirit spoke to us. But to sit down with your Bible, and maybe you're just going to say, well, I'm going to start by reading the Gospels. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one paragraph mm-hmm. <laughs> of the Gospels every day, right? It can be something really easy entry like that. You know, you don't have to sit down and say I'm going to read all of it and I'm going to do it in a year. Now, right. if you do decide to do it in a year, it's it's 15 minutes a day. That's 1% of your day. So that is a pretty manageable goal. I think for most people, like it's a it's a big commitment, but it's not it's not saying I need you to spend 2 hours with scripture every day. Like 15 minutes, 1% of your day. A lot of people can handle that. I have actually also written a Bible journal that takes you through the schedule and has reflections every day and then space to journal so it can give you some more insight into some of the texts that might seem a little bit impenetrable but it's also sort of that accountability where you're going to write in the journal and so then you're going to want to keep going because you've already started or you're going to get distracted for 6 weeks and you're going to say oh I know where I was because I was writing up to that point you can also say that you're going to read the daily mass readings every day again in your bible not just in the missalette but in your Bible, with your footnotes, with the context. The context it's so, is so important, important to have your actual Bible. And I'm like particularly committed to this because I've been using the same Bible since I was seven. I got my first communion Bible and I have used the same Bible ever since. But you don't you don't have to be that way. You don't have to be so obsessed with your actual Bible that you would run into a burning building for it. But it is it is a good thing to have a Bible that that is yours, that isn't just like these snatches of scripture put into another book, but that is actually all together in context where you can see what's the passage that comes before, what's the passage that comes after. I mean, like, we've all had moments like that. Like, I remember the first time I realized that the widow's mite, the story of the woman who put in two small coins and that was worth more than all the others, comes right after a condemnation of the way that the houses of widows were destroyed by the religious officials who demanded so much of them, and I was like, "Oh, this is not just is good job her being generous. This is also we can't be demanding so much of people that we destroy them for the sake of our idea of what is required by hmm. God." You know, and because of the way the break is in my schedule, I hadn't ever read them on the same day. Oh, how about that? Even though they're right next to each other. Right. And so even even things like that, even when you're reading through the Bible all the time, you don't always necessarily make the connection with the context. But you certainly aren't going to if they're not even near each other in the book. Right. So get a Bible. Yes. Get a Bible and read your Bible. <laughs> and one of the
0: things that your experience shows, I think, is, you know, you started reading when you were maybe you were 15 or 13 or something 13. like that. And you said yeah. you didn't understand it. But you just kept reading. And I think as adults, when we start reading the Bible new, we have to understand everything. And we feel like we have to like be a Bible commentator or something. But half of it is just familiarity. And the the greater you know it, the the more familiar you are with it, the more God will bring those connections to mind. And then the other thing is reading it straight through. You said one of your tracks, I guess, is to get to know the story because you're reading it chronologically And it's so important to know that flow of history of Israel in order to be able to put the little pieces in context. And you can't always read it in context, but maybe when you're at mass, you hear a little clip. And if you kind of know the general story of Hagar and Sarah and Abraham, when you hear the little chunk, it'll make sense because you know that story. So you may not get everything out of it the first time. It's like the first time you visit Rome you're just in awe and you're looking at everything and there's so much you can't take it in, you know, but the next time you go back, you have your favorite places and the next time even more. And, you know, pretty soon you're, you're leading other people around and you're talking about the significance of different artwork and so on. It's the same thing with reading the Bible familiarity. So read, read, read. And I think
1: it helps also to recognize that there is a gift in being New to scripture, too, Mm. right? There are things that a new reader of scripture will catch that you and I won't because it's so familiar to us that we don't realize that's ridiculous. You know, like Mm. the way that Christians hear a virgin shall be with child, and we're like, yeah, yeah, like, because Jesus was born of a virgin. And everybody else in the world is like, are you crazy? (laughs) Like, that is a ridiculous thing to say. And we're like, oh, oh, that is a ridiculous thing to say. So recognizing that it's not. It's not just a handicap, right? It's also a gift that this is something that's brand new to you because you're gonna be bringing fresh eyes and you're gonna be able to see things that people who have studied scripture for years aren't able to see because we've become over-familiarized, right? I'm really grateful when I spend time in scripture with people for whom it is all brand new for the insights they have that I can't have because, mm. because I know too much, right? So recognizing that you in the newness, are offering a gift to those people who you're able to share those things with. too.
0: Now, you said that this morning you were reading in your holy hour, you know, particular passage. Do you have a favorite way to read scripture? Are you always just reading through or sometimes do you stop and hang out somewhere? And what do you do?
1: So my usual approach, I try to do my daily scripture reading right before, like at the beginning of my holy hour. So I have 15 minutes where I'm reading scripture and then 45 minutes or I'm praying and mm. just silent prayer. And that 45 minutes at, with my holy hour yesterday was like really just me and Hagar and the apostles and, you know, processing through all of that. And my approach tends to be very Ignatian. I do a lot of imagining. So explain that in case people don't know what that is. Yeah, thank you. So Ignatian meditation is sort of putting yourself in the scene, imagining yourself as one of the apostles on the ship or imagining yourself as Hagar. Overwhelmed and afraid, and I find that daydreamy kind of prayer can be really Mm -hmm. fruitful for me. A lot of times, also there'll be just like one verse that sticks out to me, and I'll do a sort of Alexio. Now, Alexio Divina is a a slow reading through Scripture. In the way that it's taught, is divided into four steps. Right, first you read, and then you uh, meditate, and then you pray, and then you contemplate. Which isn't how it tends to work for me, right? There aren't those concrete steps. It's more like, I'm just going to sit with this and I'm going to pray it over and over again. And I'm going to look at this one word and maybe then I'm going to get excited and I'm going to flip to another place where that word shows up. Or maybe I frequently in my holy hour, grab my phone and pull up blueletterbible.com <laughs> <laughs> and check the, where else does this word appear? And I don't read Greek or Hebrew, but I'm, I'm pretty good at faking it using <laughs> using <laughs> certain websites to help me. But yeah, I don't take like a very strict approach to any of it. It's just kind of like what what grabs at me as I'm reading and and where does it tug me? And again, I think that's probably the fruit of having done this for many years that I don't have to be as disciplined about the way that I read scripture because I am disciplined about the fact that I read scripture, mm-hmm. right? And but so- also
0: allowing it to turn into a conversation and yes. hearing it as the word of God coming to you and saying, Hey, I don't get that. Or wow, you said that just to me or just starting a conversation, which is prayer with the Lord and allowing him to have it touch your life and speak to you through it.
1: And one thing that can be really helpful for me too, is to pull up other translations. Mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time also on Biblehub.com mm-hmm. because it's got a whole bunch of different translations. And there are some times where I'm reading something and I'm like, I do not know about this. And then I'm like, oh, this is only translated this way in the New American Bible. Everybody else does it this way. Got it. That makes more sense. Or like, yeah. And sometimes it's just bringing layers of different meaning, but to look at different translations can be really helpful. And I actually, I do Bible study with my little nieces and nephews that way, where we'll each have a different translation and we'll read something and then we'll talk about the difference in the translations, which is a pretty easy entry Bible study to do because it's easy to talk about these words are different. And what do those words mean? And that sort of draws you into, well, what could that mean about what the oh, text nice. is saying? What could that mean about what God is saying? And again, I'm doing that now. My sister's kids are kind of odd. You probably can't do this with most seven-year-olds, but if you have very bookish seven-year-olds, they're like, and they have Absolutely, an aunt like you. We should, well, yeah, that helps. <laughs> but, but if you've got 15-year-olds, you can mm-hmm. do that. Looking at different translations, 30 years you're saying, years. what do these translations tell us? Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: So my favorite scriptural image of how to read the Bible actually doesn't have an actual Bible involved, but it comes from the Annunciation, you know, where Mary hears the word of God and she receives it and ponders it in her heart. And then it takes flesh in her and she bears Christ to the world. And I think that's such a beautiful image of us receiving the word of God. And then it takes life inside us and it it's lived out into the world in our word and our actions and so on. So, I think of Mary as mother of the word because of that. But I read once that you have a similar title for Mary, but it's not quite the same. And I wonder if you remember what that is and if you could talk about it.
1: Yeah, my favorite Marian title is my own made up one. And maybe one day I'll be a saint and it'll be a real title. Uh, <laughs> but it's Our Lady Lover of the Word. Mm. It's sort of a two layer image for me. So, I. Imagine the young Virgin Mary and the tradition of the church is a lowercase t tradition, so you can take her to leave it. But the tradition of the church is that Mary, when she was three years old, was presented at the temple and then she grew up in the temple until she was maybe 12 years old. And it is totally reasonable to look at the historical context and say that doesn't seem likely, but it is a long held tradition in the church. And I think it's a beautiful thing to meditate on. And I always picture Mary being eight, 10, 12 years old and just being surrounded by scrolls of scripture. And as, as a little girl with no original sin, right, she would have had this clarity of mind that none of us can even imagine. And so she would have been drawing connections that nobody had ever drawn before, right? She would have been understanding things in ways that nobody had understood them before. And so I imagine Gabriel coming to Mary and, you know, the annunciation happens and she says, yes. And I just picture her, you know, being the person that I am before she even goes to tell Joachim and Anna, I picture her running to the synagogue and getting out Isaiah oh. and, and looking through Isaiah and, and thinking, oh my gosh, this is, this is the virgin who shall be with child. But then, but then realizing what Isaiah 53 means, right? Pierced for our offenses, crushed for our sins. Upon him was a chastisement that makes us whole by his stripes. We were healed. Mary realizing that Jesus is Isaac carrying the wood for his sacrifice, you know, like, and she wouldn't have figured everything out, but I think she would have become so profoundly aware of the sacrifice that her child would be. And, and the joy mixed with already this anticipatory pain. Right. And so, so I picture her as lover of the word in the sense of the way that she had a hunger for scripture, but then with Jesus growing within her, her her love for the word of God in flesh, right? And and when he was born, that she was as fascinated by his fingernails as she had been by the scrolls of the scriptures. That she was as fascinated by his eyelashes on his chubby baby cheeks, right? The way that she gazed at him, that she poured over him, which we, you know, we've all seen whether you've been that mother yourself or you've watched somebody you love Obsess over her newborn child, um, and so it's been I think the the greatest gift the blessed mother has been to me is a witness of what it is to worship Christ in his fullness and his humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking about the way that when he came back to town after leaving for his public ministry, she was just hungry to see the smile lines around his eyes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She was hungry to hold his hands and to feel the calluses on his palms, right she was. She was just hungry for him. And so I think for me, that's sort of a fluid thing that leads me to love the word in scripture and leads me to love the word in flesh, the person of Jesus, and leads me also to love the blessed sacrament, right? To see Jesus incarnate in the Eucharist, always trying to model myself on Mary, whose whole life was fixed on scripture and then on the word of God and fleshed in her son. That is incredibly beautiful.
0: That's my hope for everybody that's listening, that they will come to love the word made flesh, the word made print, the word in the Eucharist, just in the fullness of the way that you're, you're telling it right there. Thank you for that. It's really beautiful. So before we go, I wonder if you could give us a word for the new year. I don't know if you have passages that you look up and hang on to for the new year, but I wonder if you could give us something and then maybe read it and tell us why you chose it. And then I'll read it and pray with everyone with it.
1: So my favorite scripture passage, which is a statement, (laughs) um, and it's actually, it's been the same one for for years now, which is unusual. I kind of tend to flip back and forth between different favorites. Um, But Hebrews 12, one through four, but I think think we'll stick with one through three because four sort of changes the tenor of things a little bit. It's the author of the letter to the Hebrews writes this passage that honestly, like I could lead a week-long retreat, I think, on just (laughs) these three verses. They're so, oh, they're so beautiful. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us. While keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith for the sake of the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right of the throne of God. Consider how he endured such opposition from sinners in order that you might not grow weary and lose heart. And it's just, it's my heart, right? It's Mm -hmm. surrounded by these witnesses. It's the saints who surround us, but always are pointing us to Jesus, always telling us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then the idea that his passion, his suffering, was not because such horrors were necessary for our salvation. It says, consider how he endured such opposition from sinners in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Mm. Right? And that idea, and I, when I pray the sorrowful mysteries um, for the fourth sorrowful mystery, I pray, Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, who endured that I might not grow weary and lose heart. Mm. Right? And just that, the tenderness of considering that Jesus falling under the cross three times, being scourged, thirsting, be, I mean, just being ravaged, was thinking, but Meg is gonna look at this <laughs> and she will not grow weary and she will not lose heart, right? That he was so concerned about, about my weariness, right? Not just about the ultimate salvation of my soul, but he was like, she's gonna feel exhausted and overwhelmed and I want her to look to me and to see that I endured more and I endured worse mm-hmm. just because I wanted her to know that I was with her in this. Like, oh, it's just so good.
0: And that ties back to what you were talking about with Hagar. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that starts out, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's referring back to chapter 11, where it goes through person after person in the Old Testament and tells how they exhibited their faith, many of them waiting for years and years and years for promises that they never even saw come true. And yet God Mm -hmm. is faithful and it praises their faith for persevering. And since we have those witnesses around us and the witnesses of the saints that you talk about so much, we can not grow weary and not lose heart. So beautiful, beautiful verse. Thank you for that. I'm going to read that now. I hope that we will just pray together briefly with it. I'll read it and allow us to kind of ponder while I read, and then I'll wrap us up in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us. And just think, what burdens are you carrying? You know, how can you get rid of them? Maybe it's sin. You need to go to confession or it's something else. How can you give Jesus the weight and the burden allow him to take it. Let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us. Picture yourself letting go of those things that are distracting you and getting back into the race. While keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith, In Jesus, we lift our eyes to you, our goal and our example. Help us to fix our eyes on you and not on these burdens and the sin that can hold us down so much. For the sake of the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right of the throne of God. But consider how he endured such opposition from sinners in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We pray, Father, for your refreshment and your grace as we run the race today. And we thank you for your word, for the life and the strength that it brings. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in scripture. Give us perseverance to read it. Even when we're bored, even when we don't want to, help us to just read it because you want to speak to us there. Give us grace to love and to live your word in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Mary, lover of the word, pray for us. us. Thank you, Meg. I love talking to you about Scripture. You're always so inspiring. <laughs> and I encourage everybody who's listening to You know, it's the, it's the beginning of the year. In fact, Sunday is Sunday of the Word of God, where everybody is going to be encouraged to really make the Word of God, Scripture, part of your lives. And so think about how you might make the Word of God part of your life, whether you want to read through the whole Bible or you know, cover to cover or just dive into a gospel or something else, make a a new year resolution to read the word of God this year. And in the meantime, Meg, where can people reach you to find out more about your books and about your ministry? Uh,
1: So you can Google hobo for Christ (laughs) and you'll find me, or you can Google Meg Hunter Kilmer. I am most present on Instagram. I'm also around on Facebook and a little bit on Twitter. Uh, if you're looking to check out the books, you can go to saintsaroundtheworld.com and it'll tell you about all three of my books. And you can check out either the saint books or if you want to jump in with that Bible journal, you do not have to start on January 1st. You can start whenever you <laughs> want. And we do have a Facebook group that you can join if you want just a little bit of space for discussion to ask questions, anything like that.
0: Wonderful. And you can also find that reading plan in the back of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible and the Ave Catholic Note-Taking Bible. So thank you for that contribution, Meg. It's It's a really a wonderful help. We will put all the links and everything in the show notes for you. And thank you again, Meg. Thank you for being with us. And this has been Sarah Chris Meyer and the Living the Word Catholic Bible Podcast. And I hope you will join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's word. And also, you can join our Instagram community, which you will find at Living the Word Bible. And may God richly bless you.
1: This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.